You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Guess what I'm talking about today? Being happy. Listen, friends, before we jump into the teaching, last week we started a new series called Choose Your Mood. Pastor Keith helped us to see the ABCs of choosing your mood. Talked to a woman after our last gathering. She carried that card into our work, into our week. She read it every day and she said things began to change. And it's not, it's not a mis- mysterious thing, it's a biblical thing. So how do we change our mood? Well, acknowledge it, don't bury it. Don't crown it and make your emotions the guiding force in your life, uh, but then break down those things, those moods, those things that uh, tend to captivate us, and then maybe choose to change your mood. And so there's a whole way of doing that, and if you missed last week's gathering, you need to catch up on the teaching. It was so good, so helpful. So this week, I want to talk about how joy, you can have joy even when you're unhappy, when you're happy or even when you're unhappy. Now, if some of you follow us on Instagram, maybe you participated. This last week, I asked our church community two questions. Now, if you're not following us on Instagram, you might want to take out your phone and start following us because you can help us come into a week like this. So we asked you two questions. The first question I asked the people on Instagram was, what makes you happy? So I'd like you to think about that right now. Think of a moment you've been happy. Think of moments where you've been happy. What makes you happy. What makes you happy? On Instagram, people said this, summer. I tell you, I woke up today and looked out that window and there was no rain. Praise God. Like I was just like, you know, with all the rain we've been having, we better have tons of flowers. That's all I'm saying. What makes you happy? Someone said, family. Now, the second question I do ask them is what makes you unhappy? And I think this could be in both quadrants. Okay, uh, what makes you happy? Food. You know how many people said food? We must have a foodie environment. People love food. And multiple people said ice cream. Because we know, let's say in the Bible something about ice cream and godliness go together. Something like that. Uh, if, if you're new, it doesn't say that. But, but I just have a partial thing about that beautiful creation. Okay, what else makes us happy? Music. What makes you happy? Okay, okay, sour candy. One person, one person who responded to our survey said sour candy made them happy. Anybody want to tell me what's wrong with that person? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, did, what did your parents do to you that sour candy makes you happy? Ah, I, I, I'm not sure. Okay, what else makes you happy? Oh, this is nice. Warm, this is from one person. This person has lots of people, things that make them happy. Warm cups of tea, puppies, music, art galleries, and people. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. That's a very happy person, whoever you are. And there was one last one. What makes you happy? Come on, today, friends, it's an important day. If you don't follow basketball, this is where we see whether Kawhi Leonard and DeMar DeRozan, was that a good trade? And yeah, anyway, so today's a big day. If you don't like basketball... I can't help you. Uh, But then we asked you, what makes you unhappy? Here are some of the things people said. And so I would like you to think. Think of the things that make you unhappy in this life. This person said traffic. We feel you, but you do live in Toronto. 
So you could be for a lot of unhappy days. I don't think that's changing. What else makes you unhappy? <laughs> Bad breath. <laughs> Need we say any more? Okay. What else makes you unhappy? OSAP debt. Now, if you don't know what that is, those are student loans. This was probably from a fourth-year student that the reality that they're going to have to pay back all that debt now is hitting them. So OSAP debt makes them unhappy. I get that. What else makes you unhappy? <laughs> Jerks, mean people, pessimists. And the person said, need I go on? You need not. <laughs> we know exactly what you mean because they'll never change. Nothing ever changes. See, see what I'm doing? I'm just making them a little less happy right now. <laughs> you know, oh yeah, we get that. that. That makes all of us unhappy in life. What else makes you unhappy? Raptors losing. That would be very unhappy. But you know what? Thank goodness it's not going to happen today. I'll just keep throwing that out there. Here's the two things about these two questions. What makes you happy and what makes you unhappy? Two observations, quick ones. First one is this. The first question is the hardest one to answer. What makes you unhappy is pretty easy. What makes you happy is a little bit tougher. Now, it's easy when you're young, but the more you experience things in this life, it becomes a little harder to answer the question, what makes you happy? Here's why. Because what makes you happy at one stage in life changes. It changes throughout your life. And here's the thing. Some of us, this affects us relationally. Some of us are in relationships with people and they can't win with you. They can't win. Because you don't know what makes you happy. How can they ever make you happy? And so sometimes we don't know what makes us happy because what made us happy at one time no longer does. Or here's the other thing. We needed this much of something to make us happy. And it was just, you know, four, four teaspoons of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. But now we need the whole container to make us happy. What makes us happy tends to want to expand in our life and more dominate our lives. So happiness is something we pursue in this culture all the time to try to get happy. In the 1980s and 90s, there were several hundred scientific research papers published on happiness, how to get it and how to keep it. In the year 2014 alone, there were over 10,000 scientific publications on how to get it and how to have it and how to keep it, happiness. Why? Because our culture is addicted to it. We need to feel happy. So when we're down, what do we need? We need something to get us happy. When we are facing depression or anxiety, not the type that needs medication and counseling, but difficult moments in our life, we want to be happy. We're addicted to it. So that's the first observation. The second one is this. In these two sentences, the key word is makes. So I asked you online, in the room, what makes you happy? What did you think of? And I asked you what makes you unhappy? What did you think of? Because whatever the answer is to those two questions, that is the thing that has potential to control you in life. It can control your moods. Whatever makes you happy or whatever makes you unhappy can control your moods. Let me give you an example. I have children in this life. I am thankful for them. They're young adults now. I'm very thankful for them. They make me happy. They have made me unhappy. Here's the thing. It's normal in life when your children are growing up and they're making decisions. Sometimes it weighs on us. We feel the stress and strain because we're connected. That's normal. But some people become enmeshed with people 
So much so that they actually control you. Some of us have adult children and they've made decisions. And now it controls your mood. It controls your life because their decision impacts your life. Because there is no sort of separation. Now, why is that not always healthy? Well, for two reasons. One, they didn't ask for that type of control in your life. They didn't ask for that type of power in your life. Now, now whether you're doing good or not is dependent on their behavior. That's a lot of pressure to put on another human being. But the other side of it is simply this. That when we do that with people in our lives, they ha are the controlling force in our life. We become victims, not victors. We become the people that are controlled by others. It's not just children. You know, sometimes in life, uh, it's because you might be hearing and saying, listen, Pastor Jonathan, I don't have kids, so next. So let's move on to next. What about those things in life? Have you ever noticed when you're successful in life, people applaud? Do you ever notice that? Oh, you should try it. Try being successful. People applaud. You know, when you achieve great things in life, people applaud. When you do well, like maybe educationally, if you're a student here and you just killed it, you'll notice people applaud. People brag about you. When, when you do achieve great things in business or success in life and in, in your work career path, people applaud. And after a while, those applauds feel good, don't they? I start to feel really good about that applauding. And you start making life decisions based on people's applause, not God's plan. So it's no longer about the career path you feel maybe you should be in. It's which one will get the most applause. See, even a good thing like children, even a good thing like achieving things and doing well in life, that's a really good thing. They can become controlling elements in our life. It's not just that. How about hedonism? Hedon what? <laughs> uh, if you've ever taken philosophy, you've heard about hedonism. It's really just Greek language for the pursuit of pleasure. In this life, we want happiness. And what makes us happy sometimes is pleasure. We were made to experience pleasure. Pleasure's not an evil thing. Pleasure's not a bad thing. But you know what pleasure is? Highly addictive. Because all forms of pleasure release a dopamine hit in our mind. And it becomes so much so that a little bit of pleasure worked at first. But we need a bit more pleasure next. And a bit more pleasure next. If we're relying on that for this kind of happiness that'll get us through this life, it becomes highly addictive over time. I was thinking of it this way too. I was thinking about pride. Some people get happy when their pride is fed in this life. There's a pride monster in all of us. But some people, they feel happy, and this is what makes them happy, when they get noticed. When they get noticed, or when, when they are heard, or even better yet, when they're right. Their pride monster grows a little bit when they're right and they're justified. And this feeds a narrative and it actually releases this kind of dopamine. It makes you happy in the moment. But the problem with all of those things, because I don't not want you to be happy. I'm not saying we should be sad. I'm saying be careful who has the controls in your life. Be careful who you hand over the controls of your mood to. So the caution is simply this. One sociologist put it this way. He said, we're in the middle of a happy frenzy in our culture. And I love his words. He said, the sad irony is that chasing happiness actually makes people unhappy. See, chasing happiness is not only overrated, it's a fool's errand. It's a fool's errand. Happiness, now this is, you, this is the, worth the price of admission today. 
What did you pay to get into this place? Oh, nothing. Okay. Okay, so here it is. Happiness is temporary. Wow. Did he just say that? Yeah. Happiness is temporary. So if you got it, are you happy today? Enjoy it. Why? Because it's always temporary. Happiness was designed to be a temporary moment. Aren't you glad that grieving is temporary? Aren't you glad that anger should be temporary? These are fleeting emotions that we feel, and happiness is temporary. Here's what happiness can't do, and when we try to make it do it, it becomes something damaging in our lives. Happiness can't get you through the tough times. Happiness doesn't have that type of strength. But let me, let me explain it to you a little bit. I don't know if you noticed this, but it's been on the platform the whole time. Uh, this is you and me. We're on this side of the equation. And I want you to, if you, if you had a chance to look around this room, or if you're online, I want you to know that all of us are in this bucket. Every one of us. There's incredible quality. Here's what the Bible says about you and I. That every human being is fearfully and wonderfully made. That they are made in the image of God. Every human being, every human being, even the people that irritate you, they are made in the image of God. But the Bible also says, the gospel says, that we are all, all, you, me, all incredibly flawed and broken. And so there's a weight in our life, and it brings us down. And it's the weight of our own brokenness the weight of our own sinfulness, the weight, weight of the own, our own decisions in life, the weight of this broken script that's in our life we learned over the Easter weekend. And it weighs us down. That's all of us. There's great equality in it that there's not one of us that isn't weighed down by our own brokenness and sinfulness. Every one of us is in the same boat. We, we don't talk enough about this, friends. But when Jesus came and walked on this earth and he introduced, when his followers, when we choose to follow him, we enter into his kingdom narrative. See, Jesus came to establish a new kingdom, a kingdom that was unlike the kingdoms of this world. And in God's kingdom, it's fascinating. In God's kingdom, everyone is equal. God, in God's kingdom, men and women may be different, but they are equal. In God's kingdom, young people and old people might need different things, but they're equal. In God's kingdom, every race, color, and creed is equal. I mean, it blows me away. Sometimes religion has got it wrong. People get it wrong. But in God's kingdom, there is incredible equality. Incredible equality in God's kingdom. But we know this. We live in a broken world. A very actually unfair world, a world in which some people are more equal than others. So some people in life, they carry a little extra weight. They were born into circumstances that might have disadvantaged them beyond you. Maybe there are barriers in front of them that you never experienced in life. They, we all weigh, we're all heavy, but some people are a little heavier than others. They maybe have had some circumstances or hardships in their life. You might be here and you're carrying a lot of weight. And it's weighing you down. There, there are other people in life and it's relational. Because maybe, maybe while they were still young, dad left. They didn't make it happen. Somebody chose it for them. Or someone who said they'd love them forever stopped loving them and left forever. 
And so in their bucket is a little difficulty trusting people. Can you understand why though? Why that might be a difficult barrier? So consequently, there's a weightiness to their life. There's a heaviness to their life. And why I tell you all of that is we need to be very careful how we treat people in this life. You know, I, I think of the people in life that need extra understanding or extra grace. Sometimes because maybe they don't, you don't carry as much as they've carried. Let's get rubber hitting the road. That imperfect parent you have, because if you're a parent, you're imperfect. That imperfect parent you have that might be a little heavy at times, might be demanding at times, might be difficult at times. I'm not saying don't put appropriate boundaries. I'm not saying don't navigate that relationship in a healthy way, but I'm saying this. Perhaps maybe they're carrying weight you don't know. Maybe they shielded you from things that they weren't shielded from when they were younger. It just helps you to see people differently. Or, or that, that, that needy work colleague, you know that when you see them coming, you want to pretend you're on your phone talking to someone? Oh, no. Because they're so needy, and when you're around them, it's exhausting a little bit. And I'm not saying give them full run in your life. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying maybe they're carrying more than you know. Maybe they, oh, they look successful, but maybe they're carrying way more weight than you know. Or, or that gloomy Eeyore in your life, that if they walked into your office or in your home or into this room and said, I'm happy, you'd fall off your chair because they never seem to be happy. Well, that person, again, why are they conditioned that way? What are they carrying? Here's the truth about all of us. We are all incredibly broken and flawed. And some of us, we carry a bit more weight than others. But here's the truth too. None of us wants to be down. No one wants to remain here. We want to be happy. No one wants to feel small. That's not how we want to be in life. And so what we try to do is we want to fill this bucket with enough circumstances that are good that we can get up. We don't have to be down. We can get up. And so we do that. We fill this with things. We fill this sometimes with material things. We purchase things. And some of it's not what we need, it's what we want because it makes us feel important or makes us feel good. Anyone done retail therapy? <laughs> Maybe I should ask, do you know someone who's done retail therapy? Because in the last service, I saw some elbows next to each other. But you know, we, we do it to feel good. Why? Because we're down and we want up. We, I don't want to stay there, we want up. We do that to feel good. Some of us relationally, we give ourselves away way too easily. We give ourselves away to others because we want to feel connected and we want to feel love. We get involved with people we shouldn't be involved in. We get involved in degrees and intimacy in ways that are damaging to our souls in the long run. But momentarily, it brings us up and we feel good. And we feel like in those moments, at least I'm not alone. But we kind of know. When you fast forward a relationship and you give too much of yourself away quickly, you already know this is only gonna last so long. Some of us, friends, will fill this bucket and we'll work so hard to be successful so that others see us in a certain light. And we work maybe in ways we should never work. And we sacrifice people, relationships, even our family, anything we can do to get enough good circumstances there so that we're up. And who doesn't want to be there? We all want to be there. Because when you're happy, it's addictive, friends. 
It's incredible. When you're up, you feel like nothing can tip you over. Not, you are invincible. And then we buy the illusion in Western culture that this is the way we should always feel. So anytime this begins to tip down, we quickly fill that bucket with more things because we need to feel up. But it's a cycle that is unwinnable. It's unwinnable. That we can always forever be happy Happiness is a temporary emotion. It's a temporary feeling. See, see, in our life, if we're all carrying extra loads in this room, let's just imagine that. I love how the French existentialist Albert Canoe put it. He, put it. he said this, nobody realizes that some people expend tremendous energy merely to be normal because they are carrying so many extra things and weights. That's why this freedom sessions we're offering is gonna help so many people empty some things out of that bucket. So they don't get weighed down this much. See, if some things will make you happy really quickly and you wonder why is that other person not satisfied? Well, because they're probably carrying more weight. It's gonna take more things, more good things in order for them to feel up in those moments. Friends, here's the truth. We all know, even when we're up, have you ever been in this moment where everything's going great and you're just thinking like, Jonathan, don't mess us up? Because you kinda know you can't, you, nobody wins every day forever. You kind of know that happiness is always precarious because it's just one of your children's bad decisions away from tipping. You get, you get from your doctor a bad health note, a scary prognosis, and you're down. You, you don't get into the program you wanted to at school and, and you're down. Uh, you, the workplace becomes hostile and you're down. Your girlfriend dumps you and you're down. Your boyfriend dumps you and you're down. And these are circumstances in life. There's circumstances in life that we're putting way too many eggs in those baskets. To be clear, I want you to hear this. Happiness is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with being happy. And I meant it when I said, if you're happy, enjoy it. Wonderful. Happiness is a good thing. But here's the thing. Happiness may be a good thing, but it can't get you through the tough things. It does not have the ability to get you through the toughest things. This is where joy comes in. Joy is different than happiness. We use them synonymously, interchangeably, those words, but, but, but joy is, is significantly different. Joy is very earthy. Joy is tough. Joy is something you can have when you're happy, you can have joy, and when you're unhappy, you can have joy. Joy is not contingent, and it's not based on your circumstances. It's different than that. Joy is powerful. Joy is energizing. Joy is stabilizing. What if you could make joy your default mood? What if you could make joy your default mood through this life? So I want to look at the man named Jesus, because we already know if you've journeyed with this church community, he was a man of great joy, great happiness. He attended parties, he attended celebrations and weddings, he enjoyed meals with people, he enjoyed talking to people. He was a man of great joy. But I, I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 12 about what joy meant to Jesus and how Earthy and powerful joy can be in your life and in my life as it was in his life. Here's what it looks like in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's jump into it. The writer says, let, uh, and let us run. Now the us, I want to be very clear with you. He's talking to people who have chosen to follow Jesus. 
So he's not just not talking to every human being. He's saying those who've fo- chosen to follow him, he said, now let us run. Run means live your life. Run, live your life with, can you say the word with me? Endurance. Now, this, this passage of scripture was originally written in the Greek language. And that word endurance is very interesting the way it's translated. It means hopeful or cheerful endurance. Very interesting. Why does it say that? Well, you, you know what hopeful and cheerful endurance is. That's when you do something that's really hard, but you know the reward is so great. You're willing to pay the price for that hopeful and cheerful endurance because you know the payoff is great. So we said, let's run the race with that hopeful and cheerful endurance. Run the, and it's interesting, the race that God has set before us. Now, again, little Greek word, last one I'll use. The word race is a Greek, Greek word, agon, which means agony. Let us run the agony God has set before us, the race. Now, what he's saying there is simply this, that in this life, when we're running, there's a race, and you're in it, and I'm in it, and it's filled with obstacles. The word agony just simply means it's not an easy, straightforward race. It's going to require cheerful and hopeful endurance, because there are obstacles in your way. There's no timeout. There's no timeout, let's stop the race. No, it, it keeps going. It's unrelenting. And we're to run the race with cheerful and hopeful endurance. Now, the idea is simply this. If you're thinking of a race, don't think of a, a marathon. Think of a steeplechase. Anyone know what the steeplechase is? Not many people do. It's the Olympic sport that's on at 2 a.m. It's the one that they don't ever feature in prime time. They run around a track and there's like these big hurdles they have to jump over, and then there's pockets of water they have to run through. There's a lot of obstacles in the way. And he's saying, listen, life is a little bit like that steeplechase. There's obstacles in your way. It rains on the just and the unjust. So run with hopeful and cheerful endurance. And he goes on to continues to say this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. So we get that hopeful and cheerful endurance by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion, the champion, the founder, the leader, the one who already won that race. Keep your eyes fixed on him and you'll have cheerful and hopeful endurance in it. He's the one who flipped the script. He's the one who beat death, hell, evil, everything that maligns us in this life. He beat that. So keep your eyes fixed on him who initiates and perfects our faith. Pause there. Who took the first step towards you in relationship? Jesus or you? Little hint. He is the one who initiates our journey with him. He makes the overture towards us and we respond to his overture of love and we we get to respond in relationship with him. But you know the beautiful thing is, I love the fact that he's the one also who perfects our faith. Some of us put that pressure on ourselves. We think we're the ones who have to get ourselves all perfect, cleaned up, fixed up, get steadfast. Actually, that's Jesus' job. You know what my job is? I, I like, like to think of it this way. My job is to stay within the gravitational orbital pull of the person of Jesus. You know how gravitation works? You know, when I jump, you know where I'm going because there's gravity pulling me towards the earth My job is to stay within that gravitational pull of the person of Jesus. How do I do that? Just like you are today. I'm in community with other believers. That keeps me close to the things of God. 
I, in worship gatherings, I choose to lean in when we're singing about Jesus, not stand back. Why? Because I want my affections of my heart to be drawn towards the person of Jesus. And when you do that, the God, Bible says that when we choose to follow Jesus, his spirit, when he ascended to heaven, his spirit was deposited in us, the Holy Spirit. Here's how the Holy Spirit perfects us. It's not always fun. Sometimes he convicts me. Sometimes I'm doing things, thinking things, uh, whatever it might be, things that are moving me further away from Jesus, not towards Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will sometimes convict me and say, Jonathan, love you so much. What you're doing right now is hurtful to you. You don't see it in the short term. Why? Because you're feeling happy. But in the long run, I know where that's going to go. So he begins to perfect my faith. He leads me into righteousness. He leads me into still waters. The Holy Spirit is partnering with us. He's our stronger partner in this. So it doesn't end there, thankfully. He keeps going on. It says, and this is the verse I wanted to, you to grab. Because of the joy awaiting him. Who's the him in here? Jesus is. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Disregarding its shame. These are two words that I don't think belong in the same sentence. There's nothing happy about what happened to Jesus on the cross. He bore the shame of dying the death of a guilty man. His father turned his back on him and they ripped apart his body, the only innocent person on this planet. There's nothing happy about it, but there was a joy awaiting him, a hopeful, cheerful endurance that he was able even to face something as difficult and hard as the cross, the trauma, the terror, terror and the tyranny of the cross. Jesus chose his mood. If you are a follower of Jesus, God has a different orientation for your life. Troubles and difficulties don't mean the same thing to us now that it used to mean to us. It's very different now. The Apostle Paul unpacks this. Man, this verse, we, we don't talk enough about this, but this, is this message is all about real life, friends. Real life, not the flowery type of life, but real life and how we live it out in our faith. The Apostle Paul, he takes this idea and he unpacks it more. He says things like this. This is why, what, what is why? Because of what Jesus has done and because we are now in him and he is in us, this is why we, can you say it out loud with me? Never give up. That was pathetic. Let's say it again. This is why we never give up. So we fall. This race that we're in, this, this struggle that we're in, this difficulty that we face in life. You know, this race is something Paul says in, in chapter 9 and verse 24 of 2 Corinthians. He says, we to run this race to win. To win. To we're to run this race in a way that we want to win. Now, by winning, he doesn't mean beating other runners. It's not about perfection in our race. It's about progress in our race. We're, we're in it to win, though. In other words, he's saying, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't forget this. You're in a race today. Life is not primarily about your comfort. It is not primarily about your happiness. We are racing towards Jesus. We are racing towards him to be more like him, and we are racing someday to be with him. We are racing for something that will be infinitely better than our best moment on this planet. So much better than our best moment on this planet. 
I like what one poet said years ago. He said this. He, was, he, he wrote a poem called The Race. And he described a young boy who ran this race and he fell many times on it. And he comes, the boy comes to his dad and he says, and to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do too well. To me, you won, father said. You rose each time you fell. Amen. This is the, you know, the great paradox of what people sometimes think of Christians. I'm not saying there aren't arrogant Christians, hypocrites and all of that. Because we've probably all been that an occasion in life. We are imperfect people who fall often. But you know what? We get back up. We never give up. Why? Because we are racing towards the prize. We are racing towards the prize. We won't give up. And Paul goes on to say this. Though our bodies are dying. In other words, things are happening to us. There's decay in this world. Our spirits are being renewed every day. Like, that's amazing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a brand new mercy every morning you get up. You have daily distributions of grace for your brokenness and your flawed thinking and everything else. And he comes towards you with love in his heart and mind, love and truth towards us. Our spirits are being renewed every day, even though our bodies may be decaying. For our present troubles, do you have any of those? Anyone got present troubles? And he sounds, says something that almost sounds insensitive. Our present troubles are small. They're small and won't last very long. Now, when you're in the middle of it, when you're facing troubles, don't they seem big? And don't they seem to last forever? It's almost as if time slows down. And five minutes of trouble feels like 50 hours of trouble. And it's all you remember, it's all you think of, and it churns away at your resilience. It kind of beats it down. So your endurance begins to wane. But Paul says, oh, perspective, friends, perspective. Just remember, in light of eternity, these are small troubles that we'll face. And they won't last long, not in light of eternity. He goes on to say this, yet they produce, what are they? The troubles. Woe. The troubles produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, I remember being in college and, and I was struggling. I moved to a different part of the nation and I had no friends there. And, you know, all, all of that stuff you feel your first year you're away from home. And I called my house and i looking for some commiseration with me. Somebody that's going to feel the weight of my troubles. And my dad answers the phone. I already knew that wasn't going to be great. Mom would have felt like bad for me. Dad was just like, I'm, I'm going on a list of all the difficulties I'm facing. And he says, well, isn't that great, Jonathan? God's giving you an opportunity to grow. I wanted to just, if I didn't need him so bad, I would have hung up in that moment. But there's truth in that. Paul's saying, that the tough stuff you're going through right now, it's going to produce an eternal glory that will far outweigh the pain that you might face in this life. Far outweigh it. But if you don't have that perspective that is larger than your present moment, if you are banking on happiness to rescue you, you will live and lose that moment. See, when tough times come, happiness runs. When tough times come, joy gets stronger. 
Joy has the potential of getting stronger during the toughest of times. See, joy is not based on our circumstances. That's why the Apostle Paul, the Apostle James could say, consider it pure joy when you face trials and difficulties and suffering because it's not based on our circumstances. So how can you and I have joy when we're unhappy? Well, happiness goes away, but joy grows. The key is, this bucket, if you're looking for your circumstances to fill it, it's not good enough and it never will be. Your circumstances often are outside of your control, are they not? Sometimes those things that come at us in life, you didn't make them, you may have made them, but they're outside your control. You need something heavier than circumstances to keep you up when you're down, to keep you up when you're down, and joy is what can do that. Do you remember when your mother, I don't know if your mother did this, but your mother says something to this effect, that don't eat any candy before you eat your supper because it will ruin your... Yeah, you know, see, all these cultures and generations, we know it. It'll ruin your appetite. What was she talking about? Well, she was telling the truth. Sugar is like a drug. And, it, and what it, sugar does is it fools your body. It fools your body. It gives you what, you know, what could be called a sugar buzz. And it fools your body into thinking that you've gotten all the nutrients and everything else you need. And you filled yourself up on junk, though. You don't have the right things going in. But the sugar buzz kind of fools you. Happiness is a lot like that. Happiness is easy to reach for. Because in our culture, it comes in little plastic packages is that every gas station, it's all over the place. It's as easy as junk food to grab a hold of. And you know the beauty of it is some of it, it just gives you a good feeling right away. Who doesn't like a good feeling? So we fill this bucket with good things. We can fill this bucket with money. Money's not a bad thing. We can fill it with sex. God created sex, it's not an evil thing. We can fill it with power, we can fill it with success. Everything to feel better. But the problem is, just like sugar kind of spoils your appetite for what is best for you, being addicted to these things, even good things, can spoil your appetite for what you really need in this life. See, friends, the, the writer, there's an old writer of a hymn, and it was a hymn called My Jesus, I Love Thee. And then one of the lines in it originally said, for all the pleasures of sin I resign. You know, there's pleasure in these circumstances or we wouldn't do them. There's pleasure in all of those things. We wouldn't do them if there wasn't. But, but they become sinful only when they're not evil in themselves. And if you don't like that word sinful, because maybe you're thinking like, okay, there's the, there's the preacher I thought would be there making us feel bad for things. So, okay, so take out the word sinful and put the word hurtful. Because whenever Jesus or God says, hey, don't do this or do this, it's because it's always to keep you from hurting yourself. He doesn't want you to damage yourself. So whatever those things are, they become hurtful when they're used in a way that God didn't design them to be used in. They can't fill your bucket up to keep you up. They will always disappoint in the end. Many things produce happiness in this life. But you cannot produce enough happiness to keep you up or to get you through tough times. They're like spiritual sugar. Here's the gift of a tough time. The candy kind of gets turned off. The sugar goes away. And it forces you in that moment to go after the feast that your soul really needs. 
It drives you into God. There's the gift of a tough time. It drives you into the person of God. And that is all the difference. If you're serving communion, I'm going to invite you to just slip out and get ready to serve the church family in just a moment. If you're watching online, you might want to grab a cracker and a little bit of juice in a moment. We're going to celebrate the the death of Jesus and what that means for our lives and the joy that we get to experience because of that. So what does joy look like? Let me get really practical of how you fill this bucket. Jesus said, it says, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before him? Because he, the endurance of the cross was going to be difficult. His back, God would turn his back on him. He would feel shame. The sins of all humanity would be placed upon him. He would experience pain and suffering. But here's the difference. The difference for you and me. Joy is built by having meaning. It's meaning. For Jesus, he could endure the cross because there was a greater meaning. It wasn't just the pain of that present moment. There was something greater he was going for. He was going after death, evil, shame, all of that brokenness in this world, and he's going to end it. Now, it won't be ended until he returns someday, but his idea was this, that those who place their faith in Jesus, it was more than an idea. It was a truth. When we link arms with the eternal, we become eternal. And that this life is not all there is. And someday, everything that is broken will be made whole again. See, joy is strong. It's powerful. It's energizing. It's stabilizing. Joy puts fear in its place. Uh, Tim Keller, great theologian, he said this about joy. He said, the lack of joy in your life is due to your lack of mission or meaning. The lack of joy in your life is due to that. Friends, what, what, what's the joy set before you that helps you get through the tough times? Happiness won't get you there. We're not driven by fear as followers of Jesus. We're propelled by joy. People, some people in life, they're driven forward only by fear. It's different for people who follow Jesus. We're propelled and compelled to move forward in the race that God has for us, motivated by joy. So how do you fill this bucket? It starts by putting the person of Jesus in. Jesus gives us meaning in life that we would never have separate from him. Jesus gives us not not a period at the end of our lives, we're dead and we're done. Jesus gives us a comma. And it means we've just begun. Jesus gives us a reason not only to get up in the morning, Jesus gives us daily distributions of his grace and love that we need to be sustained in this life. So we start with putting in the person of Jesus and, and, and that means following his life and orientating our lives around him. Then there's something else. We have a vision. We have a vision for meaning in this life that we're living and one beyond this life. Listen, you can be up even when you're unhappy, when you have a greater meaning. When I know that in this life, I'm not living just for myself. I have a bigger mission in this life than that. It helps me endure the nonsense that I experience in this life, and you do too. When you have a vision that even exceeds this life right into eternity, this exceeds, this is incredible. You have deep meaning in your life and you can get through anything with that type of joy, friends. 
There's a joy in it. You know there's something larger you're living for. I, w- I was thinking about this. Um, this last month, I, we had a meeting with my, the deacons of this church. And deacons are simply people that attend this church, that love this church, and share in the leadership of this church. And we were sitting at the deacon table, and we were talking about growth, about growing as a church. And you know what I love? We were, just, we were just talking about what's going on in the church. We are just praying. There's lots of, lots of conversation. And this came tumbling out of me. I didn't even script it. I didn't even think about it. It just tumbled out of me. And you know what? It so resonated with the great people that have at that deacon board. It resonates with our staff because I know we're in this for the same reason. I said, I have no interest in getting larger. I don't want to be a mega church or a larger church just for that sake. And I'll tell you why. More people mean more problems. It means more staff and more staff or more work. You know, you go figure. Everybody's got an opinion on how church should work. So, and I hear it all. So, you know, do, do I want more? <laughs> but I said this, and I meant it with all my heart. But if Jesus forced our hand to grow larger, because so many of your friends and family members get introduced to my best friend, the one who woke my spirit up and gave me meaning in this life. Man, I want every headache that will come with that. I will take it. You can endure amazing things when you have a bigger meaning. And for our deacons and for myself and for our staff, you know, I have a dream someday, guys, friends, that someday we'll be in heaven together. And I I imagine Pastor Mulligan, I think he's here, Pastor Mulligan here, led this church for so many years. Pastor Keith Smith, myself, those who come before, wouldn't it be neat? There's a corner of heaven and the people are there and they come from every tribe and nation and generation and they're there because of the witness of Agent Corp Pentecostal Church, of One Church TO. They're there because of the witness of that. And what a day that will be. Well, that's why you can deal with the emails. That's why you can deal with all the hiccups in life and the difficulties in life and all the challenges in life. And friends, I want that for you. You need a deeper meaning than just what you're getting out of this. Something larger than that. And when you get that, you can get through anything. There's nothing that can stand in the face of a joy that is set in eternal meaning. Friends, 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 friends. With Jesus, you can fill your bucket with meaning. You can fill your bucket with Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Fill your bucket with eternity. Fill your bucket with the joy that is set before you. Let's pray. Well, Father, how do we say thanks for your son, Jesus? He's everything to us. He's the initiator and perfecter of our faith. He is the one that doesn't leave us alone in the middle of our troubles, but he journeys with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that fills this room right now. For your Holy Spirit that fills the lives of those who've placed their trust in you. And Holy Spirit, we say, lead us. Perfect us, God. Work on us, God. Lord, we want to be the type of people that aren't just thrown. And we don't look for happiness to get us out of difficulties and trials. But we have a joy that helps us endure whatever life holds at us. That when we're unhappy, we still have joy. We have this joy, this meaning in life that is larger than what we're facing in this life. 
We place our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.